0: Turning in God's Word to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 33 to 39. Mark chapter 15 is found on page 1,175 of the Pew Bible. And in our series of Mark's Gospel, we have reached the cross, and we've already considered Jesus being arrested in the garden, deserted by his disciples, facing the shame off the cross by the mockery he received and this evening we come to the death of christ on the cross let's read god's word and it's mark chapter 15 verses 33 to 39 listen now when the sixth hour had come there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabbathani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was a son of God. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, this past week, an Ecuadorian politician and presidential candidate was assassinated after leaving a campaign rally in Quito. This assassination had occurred only 11 days prior to the general election. This man, he had high hopes that he would be elected president that he would get to govern the nation of Ecuador. But it was not meant to be. Clearly, he faced opposition. He faced those who would rather see him dead than have him rule over them. That sounds very similar to what we have happening here to Jesus Christ. Jesus faced much opposition from the religious leaders. Early in his ministry, they wanted him dead. To stop him from undermining the authority that they had over the people. Jesus spoke of setting up a kingdom, but this was not a kingdom that they wanted. And so, at the age of 33, Jesus was condemned by these religious leaders and he was put to death by the Romans. But Jesus' death was not an assassination, nor was it an accident. Jesus knew that he was going to die. He even prophesied about it. He intentionally placed himself into the hands of the religious leaders and the Romans. He kept silent when they attacked him with these false allegations. And that's because Jesus knew his death was not the end. Instead, it was the beginning. Jesus' death would accomplish our salvation And so I want you to notice that Jesus received the curse for your sin so that you have access to the Father. And so in response, you are to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. So children, I encourage you, if you can, please draw a picture of what happened in the temple at the very moment that Jesus died on the cross. So firstly, let us consider, darkness demonstrates judgment For your sin in verse 33. So we read of how in the sixth hour, darkness came over the land until the ninth hour. So 12 noon till 3 p.m. There was complete and total darkness over the land. And there is no natural explanation for this event. It could not have been a solar eclipse, as some have suggested. Solar eclipses, they don't last for three hours, nor do they occur at the time of the Passover which is always celebrated at the time of the full moon. Now, this darkness is pointing to something supernatural. It's not the first time that we read of darkness covering the land. When the plagues came down on Egypt, the ninth plague was that of darkness. And after darkness came the last plague when the angel of death killed the firstborn in every household. Those who were protected with blood on their doorposts from a sacrificed lamb, they would know rescue and deliverance. This was God's judgment on the Egyptians. The darkness and judgment on Egypt, they pointed forward to an even greater judgment, which we see here in our passage this evening. The darkness in Jerusalem, it would also precede the death of the firstborn. The firstborn this time was God's own son and as the sky went black Jesus understood what it meant that he was under God's curse Jesus said in Mark 10 verse 45 for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Jesus was giving his life to save you this was the ransom price Keller writes, he died the death we should have died so we can be saved from this judgment and instead live in the light and presence of God. And if Christ didn't take on your judgment, well, then you will face it yourself. The prophet Amos speaks of a coming judgment. Amos 5, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? So you are deluded if you are thinking that by rejecting Christ and his salvation, that you are more enlightened, that you have something better. Amos is saying that on the coming judgment day, you will find yourself in darkness and not in light. On that day, there will be no opportunity for salvation. There will be no hope, for your sin makes you ripe for judgment. And so you will find yourself in utter darkness. Ernest Shackleton, the famous Antarctic explorer, hoped to cross the Antarctic via the South Pole. But his plans ended when his boat was crushed in the ice. And over the following month, he and his crew struggled to survive in the difficulties they faced. Sub zero temperatures, the starvation. It was the darkness that was the worst. One writer described it this way There is no desolation more complete than the polar night that can last for more than two months. In such deep darkness, you can't see forward, so you don't know where you're going. You have no direction. You can't see yourself. You don't know what you look like. You can't tell whether anyone is around you. You're isolated. No wonder it drives some men mad. And so this is the darkness that you will face at the judgment for all eternity, unless you turn to Christ. Well, secondly, Jesus Christ shows he was forsaken for your sin, verse 34. Well, what is it about darkness that can be so difficult? Well, it's the isolation. Children are often afraid in the dark. And it's because they think that they are all alone. When they become afraid of the shadows, they feel scared in their loneliness. Well, Jesus is alone in the darkness. And he doesn't just feel alone. He is all alone. This is a reality. Spiritual darkness speaks of God not being present. And that was what Jesus was facing on the cross. Hughes writes, he became sin for us. He had to undergo the cosmic trauma, separation from God, who is light, and in him is no darkness at all. In the dark of the cross's night, Jesus was alone. His separation was not just felt, it was real. And since Jesus took on our sins, he took on the consequences of sin, which is separation from the Father, I wonder, children, if you've ever come to the door of your house and you're met by your mum, and she says, you are not coming into this house. There's no way that I will let you in. And you can express your love to her. It won't make a difference. She may even tell you that she loves you, but she will not let you in. You have to stay outside. Why? Well, your shoes are muddy. There is no way that she is going to let you into her clean house with your muddy shoes. And so you have to clean off the mud before you're allowed in. Until then, you're separated. You are excluded. Well, at a much greater level, Jesus was excluded by the Father. He was separated because he bore your sins. When God the Father looks at Christ, he sees our sins. And Christ He sees our angry thoughts, he sees our lustful desires, our greedy impulses, our envious words of flattery, our harsh insults, our deceptive lies, our poor treatment of our spouses, our neglect of our families, our disregard for our neighbors. This separation should have been our punishment God should have poured his wrath out on us. He should have turned his back on us. We should be the ones forsaken and deserted by God. But instead, this was placed on Christ. And this explains why Jesus in the garden was so troubled by the thought of the cross. It was why he prayed, take this cup away from me. Pink writes, the hiding of God's face from Christ was the most bitter ingredient of that cup. It's the Father I've given to the Redeemer to drink. Well, this explains his cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mark includes the Aramaic of Jesus' words, so you hear the raw emotion of this cry. Mark has done this before on occasion. In the garden, we hear Jesus using the word Abba to describe his Father. But now Jesus, in calling out, he does not call God Abba. He calls him God. And that's because he's separated from the Father. But notice that he says, My God. And so this is a close relationship that for a time is broken. And Jesus finds his words from Psalm twenty-two that we just sang. Psalm twenty-two speaks of the suffering of one who is innocent, who was not deserving. Wilmhurst writes, as Jesus hangs on the cross. He is living the experience described in the psalm. It is amazing to think that the Lord inspired David to write it so a thousand years later he himself could speak it from the cross. And these words express what Jesus was feeling on the cross. For by bearing the sins of his people, he experienced what it means before a holy God to be forsaken. And this is greater than than the physical pain that he endured on the cross. Too often we focus on the physical pain. There are lots of pictures of the cross and they focus on the physical pain, but they can't convey the spiritual pain. But Jesus, in being forsaken, he was bearing the wrath of God for our sins. And that's why he cried out. Not because of the physical pain, but because he was abandoned and cursed by God. Now, we must also acknowledge there is a mystery to Jesus being forsaken on the cross. Wilmhurst writes, The cry of dereliction expresses his suffering in his humanity. It is in his humanity that he suffers and dies. And we cannot fully understand that. And given our finitude and fallenness, this should not surprise us. So it's not that the Trinity was compromised on the cross it's not that God the Father stopped loving God the Son. Instead, it's Jesus and his humanity bearing our sins, and so was separated and forsaken by the Father. And that's why Jesus had to come as a man, to bear our sin, so he would be forsaken by God. Well, thirdly, Jesus gave up his life to pay the penalty for your sin. Verses 35 to 37. When the people heard Jesus cry, they were confused. It sounded to them that Jesus was crying out to Elijah. Eloi, Eloi, would have sounded like Elijah. And tradition has it, Elijah would come at your time of need. He was described as like a sort of patron saint for those who were suffering. Well, in response, they gave Jesus this drink that would help revitalize him. And so we see Jesus earlier refusing the drink that would have offered him pain relief and then accepting this drink that would revive him, that would strengthen him, that would heighten his senses. And the crowd is probably curious to hear from Jesus. Maybe this great prophet would have something important to say in his final hours, and they want to hear it. But soon after this, Jesus gives a loud cry And breathes his last. This is not a normal way to die on the cross. To die on a cross would take at least a couple of days. Where your breathing gets shorter and shorter because you're suffocating. You no longer have the strength to lift up your body. And so at the end you slip into unconsciousness before you die. There is no way that you would have the strength to cry out with a loud voice where everyone can hear, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And to cry out again. And we hear in the other Gospels what that is. He said, it is finished before breathing your last. Crucifixion, therefore, was a painfully slow kind of death. And that's why the Romans liked it. It was an obvious public deterrent to anyone who thought about rebelling against the Roman Empire. And in this case, we read in John's Gospel of the soldiers speeding up the process by breaking the legs of the other two criminals to hasten their death. But for Jesus, there was no point. He was already dead. And they even confirmed that by stabbing him with a spear. We read in the next passage that Pilate is surprised that Jesus is dead already. And so Jesus' death was unlike any other crucifixion. Wilmhurst writes, in a place where no one has control or decision over anything, Jesus has decided the exact moment to give up his life. He lays down his life when the task is done, when the sacrifice is complete. And Jesus speaks of this in John 10, verse 18. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down And I have power to take it up again. And this is what he did. His final cry. It is finished. It indicates that Jesus' work is complete. He has paid completely the penalty for our sin. He's paid the ransom. And this he did by bearing the wages of sin, which is death. McCoy writes, It is Jesus' desolation that brings us salvation Jesus' banishment that gives us access. Salvation is free for the receiver, but it is extremely costly for the Savior. Now, the 11th of November is known as Veterans Day here in the States. In the UK, it's known as Remembrance Day. and People would wear red poppies to remember the soldiers who had given the ultimate sacrifice. They laid down their lives for us to know freedom. And there would be a minute silence, there would be various services and ceremonies where wreaths would be laid down at cenotaphs and war memorials. I remember at school we would always have a Remembrance Day service where the last post and the reveille would be played by a bugler and in between the headmaster he would read from this particular poem and it goes, they shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. And then everyone would repeat the words, we will remember them. And it is a right and fitting way to remember those who gave up their life in service to their country and to us, the people. Well, how much more was the cost that Jesus paid his own life punishment of being forsaken for our sins, so that you and I can have life. Well, fourthly, the result of Christ's death is that you have access to the Father. The result of Christ's death is that you have access to the Father. I know some of you are Star Wars fans, and in the movie Return of the Jedi, you have an event that happened in one place, that would ultimately affect another. And so the Empire is constructing a second Death Star that's protected by an energy shield. And the generator for this energy shield is found on the forest moon Endor. And so the Alliance, with the help of the Ewoks, they manage to destroy the generator. And then this allows Lando and the rebel fighters into the Death Star's core so they can destroy the Death Star's main reactor. And they escape before it all blows up. Events in one place directly affect another. And we see that in our passage. Mark takes the camera lens away from the cross, away from Golgotha, across Jerusalem, and into the temple. And in the temple we read of a veil, a curtain. And this curtain that would have separated the Holy of Holies where the glory of God dwelt from the rest of the temple. Only once a year would a high priest be allowed to enter in on the Day of Atonement. And on that day, he could only enter in by the blood of the sacrifice. And this curtain, is not like the drapes in your living room. It was 60 feet high. It was 30 feet wide. And the thickness was the span of a man's hand. Keller writes, The curtain said loudly and clearly, That it is impossible for anyone sinful, anyone in spiritual darkness, to come into God's presence. And yet, when Jesus died, Mark records that this curtain was torn from top to bottom. Mark is saying that these two events are connected. That's because of the cross, the way is now open to you to approach God. Your sins have been dealt with. And note how the curtain was torn from top to bottom. Only God can do that. No longer would it be necessary to wait upon a high priest to enter the Holy of Holies. Jesus has accomplished the way to a holy God. And so we now have access to God as a result of Christ's death. He is the way. We read of this in Hebrews, Hebrews 10. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So the writer to the Hebrews is saying, you are to have boldness as you approach God and come into his presence. And you can do so with the full assurance of faith. The offense of sin has been removed. The barrier has been removed. There is no forgiveness. There is no grace. Or before there was judgment. And so the cross is an invitation for you to come to the Father through Christ. Well, then fifthly and finally, you're to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 39. Well, I've said many times during this sermon series through Mark that Mark is forcing you, the reader, to work out the identity of Jesus, to understand his mission of suffering and on the dying on the cross. And at the very beginning of Mark's gospel, Mark explicitly says who Jesus is. Mark 1 verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now in our passage, we finally read of someone getting it. Now, we did have Peter recognizing that Jesus is the Christ, and yet Peter's confession is not complete because Peter did not yet recognize that the Messiah would have to suffer, that the Messiah would have to die. Peter's vision was still not clear, and it's no wonder that Mark spends a third of his gospel on the events of Jesus' death. Well, here, after Jesus has suffered and died, we have this climactic moment, and it's from a surprising source. A Gentile soldier who says, surely this is the Son of God, or this man is the Son of God. Now this soldier is the same man who would have supervised Jesus being mercilessly beaten by his company of soldiers that we read off earlier. He saw Jesus being shamefully treated. He saw Jesus dying like a criminal on the cross. Why would this Roman centurion, You would have seen hundreds of criminals die on crosses. Why would he conclude that this man is the Son of God? Well, Jesus' death was unlike any other. And this centurion, he would have been an expert at seeing people die, and he recognized this. Never before had he heard someone cry out before breathing his last. Often, when people are facing death, they are afraid. They are weak. They become a shadow of themselves. They're in pain. Slowly their organs stop working. Their breath becomes shallow. Their heartbeat is faint. And then it all stops. And that's not how Jesus died. And the soldier recognized this. He saw that Jesus wasn't simply dying on the cross. He was accomplishing something supernatural. And even this title, Son of God, is significant. For the Romans, this title belongs only to Caesar. Roman coins had on them Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. But this soldier is saying, not the emperor, but Jesus Christ is the son of God. This king of the Jews, this Messiah, was setting up a kingdom. And the centurion recognized that Jesus was doing that right in front of him. Jesus was opening the doors to heaven on the cross. And so no wonder the centurion said, surely this man is the son of God. And how meaningful this must have been to Mark's readers in Rome, that a hardened Roman centurion who had devoted his life to serving the emperor would now ascribe that honor to Jesus in response to the cross. And so this centurion, he is an unlikely convert. But he understood Jesus' death and so realized who Jesus is. What do you say of Jesus in response to what? His death on the cross. Many people respond with pity. I remember hearing the impact that Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, had on folk. And it was that of extreme sadness and pity. And while Jesus' death was awful, He was doing it for you and for your salvation. It was not a tragic death, but it was a triumphant death. For Jesus received the curse for your sin, so you have access to the Father. And in response, you are to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. The hymn, Near My God to Thee, is famous due to its connection with the Titanic. When the Titanic was sinking, the orchestra Kept playing on to lift people's spirits. But when it became obvious that there was not much time left, they played hymns. And one such hymn was, Near My God to Thee. And this hymn, it speaks of rescue. Not a rescue from the icy waters of the Atlantic, but a rescue from sin and death. A rescue from the separation that exists between sinful people and a holy God. A rescue that is made possible through the death of God's only Son on a cross. And the words go like this, Near my God to thee, near to thee, even though it be a cross that raises me. And so as you come to the communion table this evening, you likewise are making a similar declaration. But even though Jesus is weak and rejected, he is the one who is victorious. For it is through his death on the cross that he raises you to life for all eternity. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for how he took on himself the judgment for sin, how he was separated from you, forsaken because of our sin, and so bore the wrath and knew the curse of death. We thank you that through Jesus' death, we now have access to you, the Father. Help us to respond, not with pity, but recognition that Jesus is the Son of God, that the cross was a triumph, for through the cross, we now have life with you to all eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn in your psalm book to Psalm 107b. Psalm 107b the psalm speaks of the darkness that we are in without God due to being separated from God. But thankfully, God has humbled us so we can cry out for help to our Savior, for only he is the way. And the result is we are free from our sin and we are released from darkness. So let's sing Psalm 107b. Let's stand and praise him.